0: Problem Gambling Podcast is proudly sponsored by Gamban, the simple and effective way to block access to online gambling on all your devices. If willpower slips, Gamban doesn't. Go to Gamban.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Problem Gambling Podcast. I'm Barry Grant, an addiction counselor with Extern Problem Gambling, and uh, my co-host is Tony O'Reilly, also an addiction counselor with the project, and the co-author of the book, Tony 10. And we're delighted. To have as our guest today a good friend of ours who we've been in contact with for over a few years now because she's very interested and interesting in the space of gambling and player protection and gambling regulation it's sue lawson uh, she's the player protection manager with the irish national lottery uh, she's been in that role for two years and had worked in the online gambling betting industry for about 21 years prior to that which of course by my calculations means that she was five when she started isn't that right Sue yeah I think so I
1: don't feel (laughs) any older than uh, 26
0: (laughs) yeah well we'll take your word for that
1: (laughs) it's lovely to be here uh
0: thanks thanks for coming on Sue really appreciate it um well look let's tell, tell us a little bit about what uh a player protection manager at the Irish National Lottery does. Like what's what's your role? What's expected of you?
1: Gosh, it's um so, you know, with the with the national lottery, so, you know, we, we we really don't want part of our license, and I'm sure you're aware we're we're regulated. We're actually the only entity in Ireland that are regulated. Um but as part of our license we have to prevent problem play. Um, for many of our products so my role would be to make sure that we have the best features but we you know I I constantly read research to to make sure that we're using best practice industry best practice um, in everything we do Uh, we monitor player behavior and look for um, any signs of increased play uh, and, and generally it's we protect 100% of our players. So we know there's a small percent of players that you know, get, you know, don't, can get into trouble with, uh, with online gambling. Um, but for my job, it's to make sure that we're protecting 100% of our players and that our products are safe, games are safe, and that we don't allow vulnerable people um, to spiral out of any type of control. So I think that's my, my overall role. Brilliant, and like, how much of that is
0: kind of direction, maybe coming from the gambling regulator? Because like the the National Lottery in Ireland does have its own regulator. I think the regulator is in the same building as you guys in Abbey Street in Dublin. Yeah, they, uh,
1: next door. So they're yeah. quite close. They keep a quite close eye on us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So our regulator is, you know, they're very, um, you know, they're very. We are very. We're, we're very well regulated. From my perspective, being a, you know, obviously being in the position I'm in, you know, my one, my first and foremost is to make sure that the site is safe, as safe as it possibly can be. And they have the same view. So, you know, they constantly check in with the site and the retail to make sure that we're doing things correctly. Our license is very um, directive um, in this area. So... Yeah. So, and we have a we have a pretty good relationship. They're fair but firm, both firm uh, which is which is good. You know, we, we want a regulator that it, it, that actually regulates uh, and keeps us in in line in check. Which, and I think I do you believe we do have that.
0: Yeah, and I suppose having that level of regulation. I mean, you worked. I know we won't get into specifics, but you did work in the kind of. mainstream kind of online betting industry previously would it be fair to say that the level of regulation at the irish national lottery is maybe more robust or that there's more kind of direct regulation in that space than there is maybe in the online betting space in ireland say
1: oh there's a huge difference there's there's massive differences you know if you think about um the restrictions on the irish national lottery site um, to other gaming sites uh, the the differences are massive so even if we just look at as part of our license we have um, mandatory spend limits so these are spend overall spend so they're not deposit limits so a player can only spend i say only and it's it's you know that's I still find these, you know, know, these are still figures that can cause some players harm, but they can spend 75 euros a day and then the site will not allow them to spend any more. So they're built into the system and they are uh, 300 a week and 900 a month. But that's spend, um, that's not deposit. So so any reinvested winnings or, you know, is calculated within those spend limits. The site isn't accessible for twenty four hours. It shuts at eleven o'clock and it reopens at, at seven a.m., which I actually think is a massive um, it's a massive protection tool. It stops obviously. Research has shown us that late night players, overnight players, tend to you know uh, cause more harm through the night, lose control. Um, so it's great that we we have restrictions on our site. Yeah, there's a massive difference between what 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 we can do on the national lottery site and what what or what the re- restrictions are on other sites
0: yeah i think it, it, i've made that point and i've kind of pointed to the the irish national Lottery's re- rules and regulations in i suppose some of the arguments that our project has made about well what could robust regulation harm protection harm prevention look like in the broader gambling market. And if you look at some sort of time restrictions, so whether it's, you know, all all of the sites shut down at some time late at night for a period of time, because you'd know yourself from working previously in other uh, parts of the online gambling sector. We know it from our work, the research would bear it out. The people who are gambling at two, three, four o'clock in the morning, you know, there's a pretty good chance that they have a gambling problem. Now, they may be night shift workers or whatever, and they may be gambling recreationally, but it's unlikely (laughs) that they're gambling recreationally at those times. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of good stuff in terms of the regulations around the the Irish National Lottery that could be a blueprint for what a healthier, and I mean that from a public health perspective, (laughs) a healthier online gambling market could look like more broadly. I think.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Definitely agree. I mean, when I came into the National Lottery, um, I knew, you know, I, I'd obviously looked on the site and seen that there was, you know, the, the tools uh, and features on site were in place. But I was pleasantly surprised when I came in um, and, and seeing the, the, you know, the, the license limits and, 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 the, and the deeper restrictions that were there. Um, and I do think you know it's it's as you say it's a safer site I don't think any site is completely safe and that's why you know part of my role is to ensure that we continue to look at the research and at the evidence and conduct our own research which we're doing at the moment um, to make sure that that what we're doing you know I believe what what the things that I'm bringing in at the moment and, you know, we have a whole team of people that, that work alongside me in order to bring in um, features to, to help to protect players. And, and I feel we're doing the right thing um, and I'm quite co- comfortable with what we're doing. But that's, my, that's only my opinion. I'm not an expert in the research field that can go out and find out. So we are actually engaging with uh, Harvard uh, Medical School at the moment. In order to look at everything we are doing um, from registration to account closure retail to make sure that you know it is the right thing that we're not missing anything and we'll take guidance from them where where we can in order to improve those features and monitoring systems that we have in place at the moment
0: yeah and it's great to hear that so i mean uh, let's say Okay, because, I mean, you're talking about the limits, and I suppose you have to, if you're setting spending limits, which, I mean, if we look at the broader gambling sector, there are no spending limits, right? So just to have a spending limit in there is a positive thing. Now, you can argue that the toss of whether, you know, 75 per day, is it 300 per week, 900 per month? 300 per yeah. week, yeah. And a month. People could argue the toss you know, about affordability and, and that side of things there. And again, it's, I suppose it's important to note that it, as you mentioned earlier, there's spending limits, not deposit limits. So if you deposited 50 but won 500 and you know, then tried to gamble that 500 in the same day, you couldn't do that because you'd hit your spending. Well, that's, limit. See, that's
1: another limit that's already in. So anything over, uh, over 99 euros, goes directly out to the player it doesn't go back into your account so so that's another protection measure we have so you wouldn't be allowed if you won 500 euros you wouldn't be allowed to reinvest it it would go straight back to your your account um yeah so there's there's and there's there's many measures like that so there's these there's there's lots of little pieces in the national lottery that you know add up to, to to making the site safer to stop people from you know re- like it's you're more likely to go buy yourself something nice with the 500 quid that's gone back to your account because you wouldn't want to just go and take it and like you know um, put it back into your national lottery account so you're more likely to spend it on something that you know uh, something for yourself um so yeah there's lots of little features that make yeah the
0: and that's a great feature because the amount of people that myself and tony work with in our daily practice on the counseling side who never make a withdrawal from their online gambling account yeah. is astronomical. And that would be, you would know yourself from your, from your previous work, a pretty strong indicator <laughs> that a person has a gambling problem if they oh, never definitely. make a withdrawal, right? And that would be a substantial number of people. Any winnings just get recycled. Whereas, you know, again, in the broader gambling sector, if a system like that were in place where somebody had some sort of big win, a, a portion of it, whatever they decided upon, went straight back into your bank account right, automatically yeah. that would go a long way for a lot of people to help and a lot of people I wasn't aware of that one so that's another really useful tool again it's, it's mandated so it's not I, I'm, I'm assuming that it is mandated it's gonna, yeah, yeah yeah
1: it's part of our it's part of our license I, I I actually think it is it, it well, could be yeah. proactive we do that but I actually think it is part of our license.
0: Yeah, but it's um, not it's not something that the player can opt out of is what I mean. No,
1: definitely not. Definitely not. Um and recently we've brought in a you know another system that our BI team have been working on um so it gives us it gives us a complete 360 view of the player's activity from registration. So even though and and you know one of the things that i i find in my role at the moment is it's we have quite a narrow uh view because of the spend limits and the limitations you know you, working in an online operator it's easier to, this this sounds i, I don't want to mean this to sound like easy that it's easy to spot but it's easier to spot the signs because it's such a broad there's a broad um, space and so many different characteristics that a player can show. Um, in that, you know, that at risk, like harms, showing yeah. harms, uh, gambling harms. There's so many more characteristics that they can show. And in the national lottery, it's it's a little bit more challenging because we have a narrower road, a narrower view of what the players do because uh, there's obviously there's not as many. Um, there's not as many products to, 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 to purchase. There's no in-play betting. We don't have any VIP systems or bonuses or, you know, so the, all these things like in my past, they would have been real key indicators that somebody was, you know, increasing their play and starting to show signs of, of risk. It's a little bit harder to check, but we're learning. We, we learn every day, our BI team do some great work, looking at behaviours and trying to spot, uh, you know, any risk at all. And then we, we go in and we intervene with the player. Um, so we're on a journey at the moment to, uh, you know, and I don't think we'll ever end that journey, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think, I don't think there's ever going to be a sweet spot in any, in any site where you can say we've come to the end of the road we're actually really safe you know we're doing everything perfect i think something else will come along that you can do better and, yeah. and that's the approach that i will you know i'll always take
0: yeah and it's great to hear that i mean there's always room for improvement and i suppose whatever system is there needs to be reevaluated, tweaked improved exactly. upon yeah reassessed and as you go along I mean when you're talking about interventions there, what does an intervention look like if there's concern that somebody may be at risk?
1: So there's, we look at three different areas of intervention. So we, we have an instant, instantaneous, an early onset and sustained. So what that means is we have players who may come in and they'll hit a trigger and then so and they will receive some type of communication. So it's normally an email. Um, we're looking at different channels because people react different to different channels, you know, like so the a younger person might like a notification on their phone. So we're looking at these avenues at the moment to be able to bring them in in the future. But at the moment, our two main areas of uh, of intervention are email and telephone. So instantaneous, you come in, you'll hit some triggers and we'll send you a, a, an email straight away. Just to say, you know, assess your play. There's a budget calculator, uh, you know, make sure you're staying in, within the affordability. Or So that's the first step. And then if that player then comes back, say, after about four or five weeks and they hit those triggers again, they'll receive another one that says, hey, you know, you've, you're hitting the triggers again. It's sort of um, obviously these aren't the actual words in our emails. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, they, we just, the tone. Then we'll increase to say, you know, um, what type of player are you? So we send them a, a we send them a survey that's based on a PGSI, um, just so, and then that will give them some type of signposting of where to go. And then the third level is a sustain. So if you're sustaining that level of play over a period of time, then you'll receive you'll you, you might receive a first an email, but then you'll receive a call off us. And that call will go in and we'll ask you, you know, we're very direct. We ask, uh, you know, how you feel about your play. Um, can, you know, do you ever feel like you've gone a little bit, you know, over your limit, or are you comfortable with your play? Um, and we have a series of questions that we ask and are and based on on that conversation. You know, we'll take some sort of action on the call with the player uh, mostly it's setting limits or like some players do ask us to close their account after for a while to take a break. So, you know, there's a number of outcomes. Uh, most players say they're just comfortable with, with what they're doing. Um, but then we go back in after the call, about four weeks after the call we go back in and we see if there's any changes being made after, after we've made a, an intervention. So that that's basically where that's the very rough, crude, <laughs> um, journey
0: of the intervention yeah and that sounds like i've spoken to kind of gambling operators online gambling operators in the past be a lot of kind of parallels there that obviously it's stepped and it's graded and what might start with a, a pop-up or a uh, like within the online gaming or gambling platform or an email and then you would kind of work your way up to a kind of a, a interpersonal uh, yeah. intervention where it's a phone call and you're, you're having a chat to somebody, which I think is, is fair enough. And I suppose that for the people at the, the lower end of the scale, like who are maybe drifting towards developing a gambling problem, when they did that, I think it's PlayScan, the Swedish system, that the kind of online intervention system. They found that that worked really well for the people who are maybe drifting towards developing a gambling problem; they're at risk. Whereas those kind of automated interventions don't work really well at all for people who already have gambling problems. But I yeah. suppose if you're trying to catch people upstream, make the interventions early, rather than waiting until, you know, obviously you can have a new player come on who who already has a an issue with gambling a gambling problem and then you're trying to make an intervention at that point that can be tricky but if you're kind of seeing somebody's trajectory or their progression through their play over a timeline you could make those interventions early and they're much more effective yeah when they're made earlier and and
1: we will keep working. and we know there's like i know there's um i know we can improve i know we can improve our um as I say, we'll never sit back. I mean, we we check, we we look, we look at the effects our interventions are having at the moment, and you know that's something we track and we look to see, you know, what type of changes are being made, that the what type of changes the players is making after the intervention. Uh, but but I don't think we'll ever stop, like analyzing and and then and then you know adding. Other things in to make it better, you know, learning from our, our steps and uh, and the the RBI team look at everything that a player does, and you know we're always striving to push that barrier out a little bit further, you know, and and what I think one of the one of the areas at the moment is how we communicate with people, you know, what channel, what platform, um, and and I think you know there's there's things we can do do there to to improve things emails and telephone calls are great but as i said previously pop-ups we have actually we do have pop-ups on site and they are they're 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 good they're there they serve a purpose but they they can be you know we can work on them to be more effective um notifications on phones they're things that we'll be looking to, to to the future you know to make sure that people are seeing the seeing the intervention and reading and, you know, and tracking to see what they're doing after it. So I don't think, as I said before, I think in all areas of player protection, we can never sit, you can't sit on your hands. You've really got to keep going and keep pushing the boundaries. Uh, and and, that, and I, I think I'm in a really lucky position, to be honest with you, because the National Lottery, it's part of our core strategy, player protection, it's built into everything. So I'm the player protection manager but every area of the National Lottery has some type of responsibility if it's games it's, it's it's risk you know like looking at the risk of the games and assessing them and using tools to make sure that there's no features that we're not having deliberate features in there that will cause players to want to play more you know yeah. so yeah so um, I don't think we'll ever we'll ever stop pushing forward
0: yeah and I suppose Like online gambling has been kind of a game changer, I suppose, in the last 10, 15 years in many ways. And most of those ways are negative right, from a public health perspective. But the upside of it is that you can do all the stuff that you're talking about. You can see a person's patterns of play. You can see the times of day that they they tend to play at. amounts of money that they spend the frequency the intensity you can track all that stuff most of the gambling operators already have systems in place where they can track that stuff they can see it over a three-month window and they can say okay look this person is 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 hitting a lot of red flags and if they hit a certain number of red flags then that triggers an intervention so i mean that in the online space it lends itself perfectly to that and you like that you can track a person's data, you can see their net losses, all these things uh, that is much harder to do in retail, like in traditional bricks and mortar retail. I mean, uh, I think it's, it's probably a couple of years ago now when the new uh, CEO, Andrew Algio, came into the National Lottery. He asked me in for a meeting, and I think we spent two hours talking about scratch cards in shops in retail, <laughs> like, trying to figure out well, how do you take all that good stuff that you can do online and try and replicate some of those protections in a retail space, which it just yeah. presents a lot of different challenges. Um, and I think some changes have been made in the retail space around scratch cards since I was last in the yeah, conversation. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that? Because it is a tricky one. I mean, uh, like, I yeah, uh, it's,
1: it is challenging. It's, it's, you know, it's a challenging area, but, uh, and, and again, we, it was it last year we introduced, um, so transaction limits. So, and we're so you can only purchase so many cards in one transaction um and again, this is something that we will keep looking at, you know, to make sure we get it right. We looked at all the data that we can collect we, you know in some areas we get data from our retail some of the retail spaces, and we and we use that data to sort of land on um on what the what looks like over you know over purchase and scratch cards so we took that data and we implemented transaction limits we also in implemented a think 21 um campaign at the moment it's so so due to covid we were we rolled it out in 2019 from a retailer facing space we did a lot of um we've done a lot of uh, We've done a lot of training in the retail space um, on on age control and and we brought in the mystery shop. We do that twice a year, but then COVID hit and we were due to roll out the thing twenty one um, from to a customer uh, facing, but obviously we had to go in and do put signage up, which was so that was put on the back burner just while for for obvious COVID reasons. Um, we do a lot of training with the retails. We've updated the portal uh, uh, they have, so we can send it messages and, you know, we're trying to make our 18 plus sign more prominent online. It, it does have, its, it does have its challenges because for obvious reasons, because it's, it's you know, it's retail, it's, 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 uh, it's, we can't gather the data as we can online. Yeah. It? So it's quite challenging. But as I say, we are we're, we're looking to the likes of Harvard Medical School to help us guide us on, on you know, ways that we can improve. Um, they did a they did a bit of a review for us, uh, just a quick review. When we when we started our collaboration with them, we, they did a quick review. Um, and it actually came back really positive. Uh, now, they haven't looked at the, the retail space just yet, but from online, they actually gave us, you know, what we're doing when the, it's not ours. Our, they would say that our programme is is reducing harm just from a quick review. Um, and they gave us some pointers just on signage and stuff like that in the retail space. So So I'll be interested at the end of this collaboration to see what they actually, what type of, guidance that you can give us yeah
0: um, it would be interesting because that is a, it's a tough nut to crack that one so i mean let's say like you've done you've put transaction limits on the number of scratch cards that a person could buy in a shop uh, but then you just go to the next shop two dollars that's that, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that,
1: one of the problems we have
0: yeah you can't legislate for that and you'd see it. Uh, back when I used to work more with kind of substance misuse, you know, salpidine, uh, neurofen plus the codeine over the counter. You know, people will go around and they'll do a tour. I'm in Waterford, so they would literally get in the car and do a tour of County Waterford and go to all of the pharmacies that they haven't been to recently and they keep a list of, well, I was with them last week, so I have burnt that one. I can't go there. And, you know, people, if they're motivated enough, will do that stuff. Now you're talking, I think, maybe in the scratch card space, a pretty small cohort of people who would go to those lengths. Like, I mean, we, yeah. Tony, I know we might be having trouble with his line there, but if you want to come try and come in, Tony, the amount of people I've worked with whose primary gambling addiction was scratch cards is one to two, I think two people off the top of my head out of hundreds and hundreds of people over the last 10 years. Like it's, it's negligible. What I've seen, again, you don't know because it's a self-selecting group. Uh, you know, it's it's not a obviously a robust piece of research. But that's just my experience of working yeah. on the ground. Now there'll be people who would do casino gambling or sports betting, and scratch cards might be part of the picture, but it's not anywhere near what they're doing otherwise in terms of their their main the main feature of their gambling or the main feature of their gambling addiction. So I suppose I mean all you can do is do the best that you can do in the retail space. I mean, it is tricky. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, I'd be interested to see what Harvard Medical School come up with there. But I mean, if you're being strict about enforcing age limits, think 21. And you know, if you have transaction limits in place, I don't know if there's much more you can do. And I mean, maybe there's some learning to be made from the over-the-counter codeine Thing which seems to be trundling on, like even it must be 10 years since they started kind of asking yeah, for sure, people yeah. for information in, in pharmacies. Um, but certainly codeine misuse is is still a feature uh, in Ireland as well. Tony, are you able to come in there? Can you hear us or is your line
2: okay? Yeah, perfect. Just very, very attentively to everything's been said. Yeah, just on the, the scratch cards one, uh, when I worked in garden. Just around the corner, there was a shop that they used to go and get bottles of water, etc. And numerous times when I was standing at the counters, there'd be people in buying 20, 30, 40 euro worth of scratch. And they're scratching there incessantly at the counter. So I think like I, what I often saw there was that the person would ask them to move away from the counter and while the service. So even that cooling off period a little bit, I think someone had said that that's part of the the new thing that they do within the retail is that they ask people not to scratch at the, at the counters. Um, And, and a little bit like, like the solid recording is like, it's, it's that cooling off period, even going between shop to shop, at least that is something like working with people with, um, who who would usually predominantly um, gamble in bookie offices. They said that the, even the fact that they're a bit more aware of their gambling, that they're, They'd be spending too much in one shop, so they'll move to the next one down the road. They might move from the Paddy Power to the LabRooks to the Boils, so that they're not they feel like they're not being watched in regard to their to their um to their kind of gambling behaviors. Um, and even that in itself, even walking between the offices can give you that respite for a few minutes. Um, but what I found, even with the with the with the coding in the cameras, I always I always think it's a great thing because, like, I'm expected to be asked about. About that question, like what are you buying? The stuff, or are you on another other medication? And even with that, it's creating an awareness. And to me, I'm kind of going in with a, a different mindset. So even it is, I think, with the scratch cards in the retail sec- sector, it is extremely difficult to, to kind of really police it as such. But it, the little small things that you, ha- that you have making a change, with like the signage, like um, the asking the questions, asking people not to scratch the counters or whatever that is, I think it will all help. We just to briefly touch on what you mentioned earlier on around the um like player behavior. Like we'll we'll always talk about time, access, and money when we're speaking with clients. And I think you touched really well on the three elements of that, like the time elements, like when the the site shuts down in at nighttime. Um it doesn't mean that you can't have your bet on or you can't have your lottery done for for the next day or whatever. And if that was to become the case in um in online gambling, I think would be a good thing because it doesn't mean that you can't bet on something that's on at 3 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning. It just means that when, if you're chasing losses or chasing wins at that time of night, that's when I think danger can be. But it's not like it's stopping you gambling on things like that, but it's stopping. Or I think it's minimizing that impact that the chasing losses or chasing wins because, as you said, that's where you'd see a lot of patterns from before that people are in the middle of the night chasing losses and chasing and wins. Um, and I really like the idea of the 75 euro per day and the recycled money because, like, even in my own case, there was a lot of money gambled, but a lot of it was recycled. So, like, you know, a lot of players or a lot of, sorry, clients when they're talking to us will talk about, you know, how they may have lodged in 50 euro on a Friday evening. And, you know, they look back and they're after, you know, gambling thousands over the weekend. And it's not just about how much money it takes, it's about how much time it takes. And, and I don't,
1: yeah. you know,
2: I know we've spoken before around um, the time element of it and how that can be a real pattern of harm or a potential potential um, kind of signal of harm is the amount of time spent as well. Um, and, you, you, and, and you talked about this being a, um, a journey as well in player protection. It is, it is a journey and it's one that, you know, we need to tweak the whole time, but also like recovery is a journey too. So when we're speaking with clients, it's about tweaking your own recovery. And it's it's good to see that there is kind of regulation in this space because even if I am a problem problematic gambler who decides to log on to the lottery to have a bet, when I see all the measures in place, I'm more mindful of it. Um, you know, like again, if I had been in my like even in my own gambling, when I was gambling in in, in Gory, um, the person who was working in Boyle sports, I knew the From Carlos. So stop me going in and spending amounts of money in there because of the kind of accountability so the more we can do with that and to do that online and um we go back to time access and and money it seems that the regulation needs to hit those three um to really be effective and it seems to be that seems to be the case with with what you're, you're achieving and trying to achieve in the lottery definitely yeah that's
1: um yeah, it's definitely that. I mean, just going back to what something you said there about uh, through the night. You know, I I know from previous roles that that was that was a huge indicator of through the night play is just. Um, so one small change of not of not allowing the site to be open through the night is is a massive. That would just, I think that would stop an awful lot of uh, of harm happening. Just by that one small change, if if we had if if you know if online gambling was regulated in that way, so I, I completely agree with that.
0: Do you think? I mean, based on your, I know you haven't worked in, in the other kind of parts of the, the online gambling sector for a while, but do you think there would be an appetite there to kind of embrace some of the regulations and restrictions that currently exist in the national lottery?
1: um I'd like to think so I, I'd like to you know I, there's a lot of commitments being made and there was you know when I was still in that space um there was lots of commitment and lots of investment um I, and I don't think that's I don't think it's seen for the amount of investment that actually does go on in you know in the online world this there's, there is there's huge investment and um, so I'd like to think that that if that, if a regulator came out and, and you know, because I'm sure there'd be a consultation period and and, and and if it was suggested that the site closed at, you know, say for instance eleven PM, that people would have an appetite to embrace that because I think it's I th- I think it's a huge I mean how it would happen I don't know how it'd work um, with some of the global companies, whether they could do it by jurisdiction. By time Um, but you know with technology the way it is today I would really hope that 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 would be one of the main and limits you know they're the so the two main areas that I I, I think I'll keep going because another one will pop up in a minute but I think the two main areas that that we could look at um, is is a through the night you know having a closed period for the site and B, having some type of, of seal and limit on what you can actually spend or deposit or however you wish to look at it in in a, in a 24-hour period. And, and I think they're, they're two massive things.
0: Yeah, I think they will go a long way. Now, I suppose there's only one national lottery <laughs> versus countless uh, opportunities to gamble on lots of online different sites. And I suppose... Let's say I hit my limit on Paddy Power, for example. Then I can go to Boyles and then I can go to Labrooks, and I can go to Bet Three Six Five, and so on. Again, it would be difficult to come up with a perfect system there, short of having some centralized place where you deposit the money and they keep track of what your daily losses are. But I think it would be a start, and if you combine that, because like Tony said, the more breaks in play that you have to put up with, yeah the more opportunity you have to think, oh, hang on a second, what am I doing here? You know, and that's what I think any responsible gambling operator should be encouraging that, you know, whether yeah, it's...
1: definitely, definitely. And, you know, that's... The, the, these, are, these are things that we'll never stop looking at, to the possibilities of introducing, you know, other things, um, such as the number of deposits you can make through a day, you know, the small bits of just capping what you can actually how many because I found you know even through my you know when I studied addiction and and I've you know obviously I I did some uh, voluntary work with, as a counsellor after I'd after I'd uh, studied counselling and psychotherapy um and some of the things that 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 I you know that came to light was that it's it's a accessibility isn't it to, to continue so if you've got drink in the cupboard you'll keep going back to the cupboard to take the drink and if you can continue to deposit over and over again and you're in that what I always call this is a re, you might give me the proper term I call it the washing machine effect yeah. well you're on the spin you know when you, you, you're you in that cycle where you just can't you're not thinking you know you're not going to stop until the water's gone you know so if you could stop that, and I believe that maybe looking at a certain amount of deposits that you can actually make in a day, and it's upfront to say, you know, if you're going to play with us today, you're going to be allowed to make two deposits, so, or three or whatever that number would be, to, to then, that's a decision you have to make yourself for, okay, so how much do I, at the beginning of my, this session, how much do I want to spend So you make that decision. So if I say, for instance, right, I'm going to deposit 20 euro. And once that's gone, it's gone. I'm happy that's, you know, I can lose, I can afford to lose it. But if I'm allowed then to just put another 20 euro in and then another 20 euro in and then another, and no one's actually saying to me, hello, you know, this is your, on our site at the moment, we do have a pop-up that says, you know, you're about to make another deposit. You've already done. I think it's two. uh, You know, there's X amount of you're going to do another one. He show you, so there is actually a pop up there at the moment um, that would try and remind somebody. But I think you know, with technology the way it is, we might be able to in the future go a little bit further than that. And but and you, I don't want to be. We don't want to become a nanny. We don't want to become a nanny, Stacey either. You know, we don't want to tell you what you can do and what you can't do but i think if we give you the information to say look you know on our site we protect our players and we can only you know at the beginning of the day you can you're allowed to make two deposits i don't know whether that's going far too far but it, it is something we are exploring at the moment to see if it's feasible i most probably get hung for saying that and uh, <laughs> but, the, but these are the type of things you know we all oh, jokes aside these are the type of things we're looking at um, without making the site far too restrictive, so it's choices. It's about giving somebody the knowledge and the you know beforehand the information beforehand. Make a good choice and stay in that safe zone. That's that's where that's where I would like all our players to be.
0: Yeah, and I think excuse me, people often come back to that nanny day's argument, and like the reality is. Those kind of interventions whether they're automated or, or manual interventions are only really going to kick in when you're getting into a dangerous area anyway now people you can argue have some sort of entitlement to self-destruct if they want to you can make that argument although I would make the counter argument that nobody exists in the bubble and if you're self-destructing you're taking a few people down with you
1: exactly yeah
0: and you don't have the right to do that right so um and I suppose the other thing is like when people, uh, both Tony and I worked as bartenders for years and I'd often make the analogy of, you know, when somebody has had too much to drink, if you're a responsible bartender working in a well-run bar, you say, sorry, pal, had enough, do you want me to call you a taxi, cup of coffee, come back tomorrow, you're very welcome. And yeah. normally that goes fine. But the difference is if I cut somebody off when they're gambling they have a perception that I'm robbing them of their right to win back the money that they've lost. Yeah, right. Yeah, that is. But, and Tony spoke about this with jo- Jody Bechtold on the last episode of the podcast, which is coming out shortly, that you don't have a right to win back your money. All that the gambling industry has a right to sell you is entertainment. And all you have a right to expect from the gambling industry is entertainment that's it you may occasionally get some free money (laughs) that's about that's right you have no right to expect to win any free money or to win back the money that you've lost right and that's the mindset if you're in that mindset you're in trouble straight away because yeah sometimes I make that parallel with cutting somebody off when they've had too much alcohol but there's another there's another element to it where people feel like well you're you're not giving me the opportunity to win back the money that I've lost yeah but you don't have a right to that, you know. Either, and
1: I've heard that argument many times. You know, you've it, that 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 is a genuine argument that people make. Um, but you're right, and yeah, you're very right. But but just on, you know, from your point of view, I'm asking. Can I ask you a question? Oh, so, from your point of view, you know, some of the some of the things, the the, the likes of looking so exploring deposits, and would it be. In your, in your experience, would it be the amount of deposits that would do or have a ceiling on, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that the number of deposits, there's definitely something in that Cause I think Tony, you may want to come in here in a second as well. Certainly in my experience, people kid themselves by making smaller deposits at the start and thinking, well, I'm gonna stay within my limits. If I lose that pot harm, then they lose it. Then they go chasing it. That's the second deposit, it may be bigger. And then they're they're kind of doing death by a thousand cuts. So for a lot of people, it's not one big deposit. Yeah. Thinking, well, I'll play with this because I can afford to lose it. They're making small deposits. They lose that money. They think, well, hang on, I don't like losing that. Or that maybe they've gambled with more money than they could have afforded to lose, and it's impacting on bills. So now they're chasing to get the money back for bills. And now you're now you're in the washing machine. Now you're in the spin cycle. You know, if if you have an issue with gambling or if you have a gambling problem. So I think the number of deposits will be great um, because if you set a, a deposit, see, I mean, deposit limits already exist across the online gambling industry yes. and, and people will set them and change them. You know, some of them don't have cooling off periods or if you had a number of deposits, I think that would be more impactful because people we all have this amazing capacity for denial right
1: yeah definitely
0: <laughs> well i'll only i'll only lodge 50 and then five minutes later you're lodging another 50 and then it's another and then it's 100 and then blah, 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 blah. so i think tony what do you what are your thoughts on
2: that uh, yeah it's about the the amounts of deposits but also the the patterns of those deposits but as well mm. as you said it could be five and 10, 10, and then suddenly you might see a 50 and then a hundred. So, you know, the person's trying to double down to win the money back. So I think in that, like, you know, I, I really do think the phenomenon of chasing wins and chasing losses is part of the psychology of someone with a problem. So it's like that I need to win that hundred back. I need to win that 200 back. So they're depositing the 200 to try. And it's, it's the bet that they put on then. it's like, you know, in my, in my kind of gambling history, I suppose it's, I show part of that in presentations, and it's not just the like the amounts of money as we all know got to large amounts, but it's the it's the time of it, it's the the amount of of um of bets I'm doing, but also the amounts of recurring bets. So it's kind of you could see like it, the the actual that transaction period for that weekend. It's just that it's constant. It's like I keep and keep on gambling. So I'm I'm in play. I'm gambling on the same things. Um, I'm doubling up. I'm tripling up. I'm trying to win back. The, you know, so the, you can see very easily from the different patterns, and you have to look at it from a, a you said earlier, on a three hundred and sixty view of it. It has to be the amount of deposits, the patterns of the deposits, the time that the deposits are at, and um, the pattern of play in, in relation to maybe their previous patterns of play. Um, so, like, there's, just, there's so much to take into consideration, and with the online space, it is a lot easier to do that. And when it comes to people who are experiencing harm, if we can have this across the board in regards to online, like people might play the national lottery and, and we reach their limit, then it might go on to Paddy Power and then or it might go on to Labrooks or Bet365, but beating their limits. Like it would take the, the national lottery, for example, if you met your limit online, there's still nothing stopping you from going down to um to a petrol station, buying scratch cards at 11 o'clock at night. and not stopping going on to different shops and doing all your different quick picks like people go Around to the different chemists, so people who experience harm will find a way to put the bet on. But I suppose it's about, as Barry said, it's about um, getting as much of that cooling off period as you can within the, the betting episode. Because then, when the fog lifts, then as Matt Gaskell always puts it, when the fog lifts, then that's when we in trouble, then the panic sits in, and then that creates a different type of behavior. So it's nearly like when someone loses X amount of money and then the fog lifts and kind of going, Oh no, I don't have the money for the mortgage, you'll see a different type of behavior. And online, we can really monitor that. Um, and the more we can do that online or the more, as you said, Barry, if it was centralised, ide- it would be ideal. Now, that will never be the case. But ideally, it would be that if I self-exclude it, or if I set a deposit limit with one bookmaker, it would automatically, one, the left hand would talk to the right hand. But that's not going to be the case. Um, so do you i think the- that
1: would be something that if a regulator... Uh, when wait, I'm sorry, I'm still saying if, but when the regulator comes in, that um, they would look at a, a national self-exclusion. Is that something that organisations such as yourselves would push for?
0: Absolutely, we have to have multi-operator self-exclusion, both for retail and for online. I and mean, we've been pushing for that for years. Uh, and you have to have a regulator to make that happen because you can't just have a disparate group of yep. gambling operators, <clears throat> some of whom will opt in, some of whom will opt out. That has to come from the yep. top level, be mandated to anybody with a gambling license. So
1: so uh, I worked yeah. on the... I was part of a team that um, worked on the GamStop project in the UK um, for the operator that I was working for at the time. Um, now, it had its problems, obviously, because coming together, it was... It was uh, it was massive. It was a massive to bring everyone together to get a centralized location, centralized system that talked to all the operators. Um, but it got there in the end. Um, and the if I remember rightly, the way the uh, the way the project worked was you had you had a grace period to sort of you could sign up straight away, or you had a grace period to sign up and get. And you know, and I, and I remember most of the major operators signed up straight away, and they all had to obviously pay towards the implementation of the system. But there were operators that held back right to the death before they <laughs> before they joined. But I think the main t- you know the piece to take out of that was that the the UK government made it; it was mandatory that you had to be, you know. It couldn't be a choice to join because some operators may not join it, and then for those players that you know have difficulties, they you know you wake up one morning, you self-exclude, you feel great, you have a relapse, and you'll go to the operator that didn't that didn't sign up, you know, and you, and so there's always an avenue to get to that. Yeah, it, it, I think it'd be a great uh, you know idea. I'd love to see it happen in Ireland. Um, I don't know
0: whether I will I might have retired by the time it's uh... <laughs> At 26, I don't think so. You have a very pessimistic view there. Ah, look, I mean, hopefully we will. There's a bit of movement on the gambling regulator here. Hopefully we'll, we'll see it before the next couple of years are out. But yeah, then setting up the, the, self, the multi-operator self-exclusion scheme, that's a job of work. That's going to take time. And yeah. comes up all the time because lots of Irish people use UK Gambling websites, and they can see at the bottom and all it says GamStop, and they can. They think that there's a multi-operator scheme here. Yeah. There is not, unfortunately. So if you're a resident in Ireland, you can't avail of GamStop, which is a UK system. All of that stuff. It's a absolute pain, and it 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 definitely can be part of relapse for a lot of people in Ireland because they're self-excluding from one today, and then they're a week later they just open up a new account with another one. Obviously, we recommend gamban, which can definitely help with that. In the absence, in the in the meantime, in the absence of a of a scheme, I know we've gone over time already, and I'm sure we could talk about this stuff all day, as we have many times in the past, because we're all we're all nerds for this stuff. I suppose we all want to see structures in place you call it non an state, call it whatever you want but i suppose call structures in place that will help protect people who are vulnerable to developing gambling problems and the people in their lives who have to deal with the fallout of those gambling
1: problems definitely, so, I mean, yeah, definitely
0: that's important tony any thoughts or questions
2: for sue before we finish up um just i suppose one final thought i suppose like different operators will um and you'll see it from you know from or you'll hear from speaking to people um, from client work, but you'll also see it from you know, following the online space. Different operators will have different levels of what they, what, what they put in place to protect the vulnerable. I suppose the bottom line for me is if we can get the regulator in place or when we get the regulator in place, it's, to really, it's for them to create a really solid framework to make a lot of these policies and procedures mandatory uh, and then get like if, if everyone is, is on the same space or in the same kind of wanting to protect the vulnerable, we need to get everyone on the same, on the same level as that because a lot of some operators will be better at it than others. Some will have more of a commitment to it. And, you, and as you said earlier on, I'll, there's a lot of stuff that's done in the background that we'd probably never hear of. Why not make that more transparent so we know what's going on? And yeah. then from there, if, if everyone is, is on the same kind of page as trying to minimize harm to the player in what we know, we, we definitely see that within what the lottery are trying to achieve in that space. I think then, nanny state or no nanny state, we can really start making change because you can implement um, things like GAMSTOP or an all operator exclusion, because you know, if, we, if we had that across the board, if I excluded one operator and then that had a, a knock on effect to the other ones, um, I think that would have huge benefit um, and it would make a huge difference because like, your dick at will will, will self exclude at one and then in the background, you'll kind of go, all right, uh, maybe, you know, I, I'll, I'll leave that one open just in case. So again, in, when everything else may line up in regards okay. to relapse, that can be a real problem. And if we and even in, in, in kind of time limits, like, you know, some operators, you can't self-exclude for as, as long as other ones. Um, and that's just by talking to a few people over the last couple of weeks that have actually physically gone into the bookies to self-exclude. And that, and that itself, if there was one area I would love to change, I would love to make that bit easier to self-exclude within a book. It's like sometimes they have to physically go in and get a picture taken and, and sign a thing on an iPad. or may, And sometimes I'd, one lad in particular had talked about how he went in and it was a new guard working in the bookmakers and she didn't even know where the forms were. So he was standing there for half an hour, an hour in a very triggering situation trying to do this. Um, and you know even the stigma of going in can be can be difficult going in Celtics Loo within the bookies themselves. Online is an easier space to do that. Obviously, as you were saying, even in your own experience of player protection is easier online. But we need to put um, systems in place that can make it easier and more consumer friendly to do these things in the actual retail sector, especially in the bookies. And hopefully when the regulator does come in that these are all the conversations we can start having. And even though there is a big piece of work in it. At least we're getting the conversation started. At least, we're, as you said, it is a journey. We're trying to implement these. And it is about protecting the vulnerable because there are a lot of people who are more vulnerable to it than others. And with the rise of technology, as we've seen in the pandemic, with more people playing online and, you know, it, sometimes there can be that it's more accessible at four o'clock in the morning and um, for some people who may have been playing on land land-based kind of um, bookies so we need to be constantly evolving with this and um, yeah so hopefully that will be the case um over the next couple of months when we get this regulator in and I'm looking forward to that being involved in that space to try
1: do we know when it's uh, the regulators coming in is it still due to be this year is it September Did it was that a date
2: I think that's sure. Department
0: of Justice set a timeline for by by the end of quarter three of this year so we'll be monitoring that closely
1: <laughs> but at that just to get the regulator in and then there's time there's the, there's the oh yeah that, they, should, they still
0: have to then draft the bill and i think they're they're, they're going to publish their draft of the new bill this year as well i think that's in the timeline that might be yes before the end of this year uh, anyway um and then that new bill has to go through all the normal processes to become enacted. So, I mean, you're talking that they, the Department of Justice have said 2023, I mean, considering that the Gambling Control Bill from 2013 still hasn't been enacted. Same government, same parties in government. Who knows? Uh, but I'm, I suppose, trying to be hopeful <laughs> about <it. laughs> Or trying not to give you up hope.
1: You do well, Barry. You do <laughs> well to, to be hopeful. No, it. it I, yeah. I'd love to see it in and and you know I'm sure people think you know that working in the gambling industry you don't really want to see a regulator you know that it'd be easier not to be regulated not to be regulated and that I completely disagree with that you know we I'm always on my toes because I know we've got a regulator who 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 regulates us you know firmly uh, but fairly I'd say. Um, and so you know, it. it I, I just think it'd make the world a lot safer for the player, and more. So uh, this may sound, but it when I look at regulation, it gives you that guide that you need to know which how you know to stay between the lines. Without that, you know, you're going wherever you're not. Do you know what I mean? It's it's lack of it's lack of guidance um, more than anything from my point of view, you know, I want to, if I'm looking at something and I want to know what what's right and what's wrong, you know, morally, I might say, you know, we need to stay within this lines, but somebody else has a different opinion than me. So then we come up against that loggerheads clash with other areas of the business. You know, we're lucky. I'm lucky in the national lottery. I don't have that. That makes my job a hell of a lot easier because Everybody in the business is on the same page because we know where the lines have been drawn. And, it, and I think, you know, going back to my previous life in a, you know, in another company, I would have loved, I would have really loved, t- so in the UK we had it, but we didn't have it in other areas and, and, it, it, and it would have been nice. It would have been a major job, a lot, a lot more smooth. So from both sides, it's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I suppose one of the one of the problems with the absence of regulation is no doubt there are some gambling operators who want to do the right thing and do the responsible thing and will be happy to put in kind of structures and limits and restrictions and still make their money because they know they're still going to make a profit, maybe less for profit, but they'll make the profit. But in an unregulated market, if they go off on their own and they do that, the other guys are just going to eat their lunch, right? <laughs> They're going yeah. to eat their lunch. They'll be, you know, and you can have this kind of race to the bottom, where you know maybe some operators have a bit of a moral compass or whatever moral compass that they have. If others don't, and there isn't a level playing field set by the rules of a regulator, then you know, the ones with less of a moral compass are just going to eat everybody else's lunch, financially exactly. speaking. Right? Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. So the ones who are more ethical. Uh, can't take that risk, a lot of them have shareholders, and you're just caught in this loop where, I suppose, people are, are engaged in a lot of ways in a race to the bottom in an unregulated market. It doesn't matter what the market is. Um. So the sooner the government gets a regulator in there, the better for everybody, the better, I think, for the gambling industry, for the your average consumer, for people with gambling problems, wider society, you name it, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. So... Definitely we've kept you on you've been very kind with your time thanks so so much i mean is there anything else you'd like to say before you finish up i mean we've gone through loads there and i suppose that my takeaway from it is like how different a regulated gambling market can be versus an unregulated market and how you can put structures in place you can still have happy customers you can still have people you know enjoying the, the product of the national lottery within certain parameters which are going to allow them to do it as safely as humanly possible. And I suppose you're still monitoring that and tweaking it and trying to find I mean, there were even some things there that I didn't know existed within the the structures of the player protection structures of the national lottery. And I think that the wider gambling industry could benefit a lot from some of those types of restrictions being put in place, but any final thoughts or, Words Do you know, my show?
1: final thought, Barry, is if you know if if I could um, if I could give any other operator a piece of advice, and, and I and I mean this, and I you know you know I contact you and Tony on a regular basis um, because I value your input and, and your advice sometimes, and if I could give any other operator a piece, or you know any player protection managers in my Make really good relationships with support organisations. Tell them what you do and ask their advice because, you know, you I I think I'm doing wonderful, you know, things sometimes, and then maybe I'll reach out to you or Tony and I'll take your advice on something, and and I might tweak it because because I'm not thinking on that side of my brain, the support side. I'm thinking on the other side, and there's no benefit to to keeping your player protection approach or to yourself. It's just, it just do not benefit. You know, if you can sit and talk about it and take advice off people uh, in your position, especially in the, in the support organization uh, arena, you will learn an awful lot and you'll be able to bring it back and, and enhance your features even further. So that, that's the one thing I take away and research obviously but I actually think lived experience and the experience of support organisations is is key to, to moving forward and doing the right thing.
0: Great piece of advice. Hopefully lots of the other, other operators will take it. And look, yeah, we really appreciate you kind of reaching out to us over the years and, and I suppose having that conversation going because it's great for us to know what what's there what structures are in place we rarely come across well certainly in my experience rarely come across people where lottery products would be the the primary issue but for us to be able to know well look if if and when we come across people in that situation you can put these kind of structures in place these are the sort of supports that are in place and even just from a broader perspective where we're advocating and we're lobbying to be able to say look we've got one little bit of the irish gambling sector which is regulated it does a b and c so when we regulate the the bigger bit can we yeah. also have a b and c because it makes sense and it works and it protects people and you know the companies can still make money and you know, i think there's Definitely. huge value in, in being able to have those conversations tony was there Anthony there i think that we probably need to let sue go back to work
2: Oh, again, just want to thank Sue for her time. It's been great to chat and catch up.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Thanks very much. Always nice to talk to you, lads. I'll speak to you soon.
0: And as you were saying off air, you you recommend United are going to win the league this year. So thanks, no, Sue. No, I that, never said
1: it. that. As you can tell by my accent, I am definitely a Liverpoolian. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is <laughs> right. to try. All right, listen, Sue Lawson, 26 years of age, uh, and player, <laughs> Pro- player protection manager with the Irish National Lottery. Thanks a million for joining us today. Take care.
1: Thanks, Bye. lads. Thank you. Bye.